of that exotic sex, dressing up and all that. I mean, I don't do that. I was desperate to do it for many years, but I don't last long enough to do any of those things. <laughs> you know, you need the old longevity before you can do that. Say, well, I'm bored with all this shagging, let's do something. Fireman's helmet and a wetsuit, you know. <laughs> but I'm sleeping by then. I'm... <laughs> right. People say, oh, I like women to talk dirty. I like them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> We promise to improve your mojo from the boardroom to the bedroom. I'm going to go home, have some sex. And while we've hopefully over-delivered on the boardroom, we've probably been a little impotent when it comes to the bedroom. You still know what a woman loves to hear. So this week, we're getting after it with a special long-form podcast to help put you in the hot seat when it comes to improving your hoo-ah in the boudoir. You are a sex maniac. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show's Bedroom Special. Another big bang in a very public place. Hey everybody and welcome to a very special edition. I know I'd say it every week, but this one is a special edition and I'll get to that shortly. But welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. If you're new to the show, welcome. Nice to have you here. What we do is we find interesting people that have their mojo working in some aspect of the world. We just have a rave with them. We extract their tips, their tools, their opinions, their thoughts, just their stuff that we can steal, put into our own world to get our own mojo working from the bedroom to the boardroom, which is where we're going today. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Thank you for downloading the show once again. We love having you on board. And as you would have heard by the intro at the head of the show, as we call it in the radio industry, uh, this show is about the bedroom. And for a long, long time, we've been... We've been getting requests from our listeners. And I've got to say that we in the studio have been trying to work out how the heck do we do a show that adds value, is entertaining, and is something different. And the bedroom show has been on the drawing board in the studio now for maybe four years. And we've finally gotten to it. This is going to be a long form show. It's two hours ish, uh, depending on how much we wrap it on. But, um, it's uh, it's a big show for us, mate, isn't it? It's huge. It's been, you're right. It's been on the whiteboard here in the studio since day one, when we when we first came up with the line from the boardroom to the bedroom. I think we've we've pretty much done sat in every chair in the boardroom, but I'm not sure we've laid on the bed in the bedroom yet. So today's the day. Affirmative. Uh, now, before we get into it, a couple of quick things. Uh, I get a lovely note during the week from a guy who goes by the name of JJ. He is from Abacus Window Cleaning. And he sent me a note saying, uh, okay. got the shows, downloaded the back catalogue, can't wait to check them out. So, JJ, good on you, mate, for uh, for getting on board. Nice. Another one we had sent through to us, and this warms the cockles of our heart, through iTunes, uh, we had a nice review left for us. So, a big thank you to Trevor. Uh, Trev. 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 Trev sent Trev through Meister. a note. He said... This is the place, five stars, gold already. Good on you, mate. Go, Trev. He said, want some inspiration and a veritable kick in the pants, question mark. (laughs) This is the place to get both awesome podcasts with a wide variety of guests. Good on you, mate. That is a beauty. And I'll tell you what, Trev, I'll have to get the approval from the big man here in the corner, but um, I reckon we might just slip Trev some early rocket fuel. What do you say, Robert? Oh, has to be. For a comment like that, especially talking about kicking the pants, interesting that he says that, though, because this week's about getting in your pants. 
Oh, God. That's terrible. <laughs> so, Trev, along with anybody else who, from this moment forward, would like to leave us a little one-line review, like Trev did on iTunes, you will receive a bottle of Rocktober Rocket Fuel... Thanks to our mates at Chili Bomb. Uh, now this is pretty. This is a real thing, guys. I know last year we did the Buddha Brew and people thought we were taking the piss. You know, it was just a bit of theatre of the mind, but it was actually a coffee. This one's actually a chili sauce. It contains three different kinds of chilies. Get this, Robbo: Cayenne, Carolina Reaper, and Ghost Chili. Carolina Reaper and Ghost are two of the hottest chilies in, in the, the world. world. Mm, I know. It's brewed. And naturally fermented, so it's not cooked. And this is all done by our mate Matt at Bear Brewing. I've I've had some. This stuff, I mean it's look, it's if you have it straight up, yes, it's got a really nice kick to it, but it's not insanely hot. But if you like your chili, you like a bit of uh, spice in your food, it's got a really nice smoky, smoky uh, fragrance to it and taste. It's a cracking brew from Chili Bomb. It's free. All you have to do is leave us a review on iTunes. We will hook you up. We will mail it out at our expense. It's yours. I mean, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. So let, let, let's let's go here because I haven't tasted this yet. Let's go on a curry scale. Are we talking butter chicken or vindaloo? Oh no, it's a it's a it's a spicy butter chicken. A spicy butter chicken. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's well, not a vindaloo. So it's not it's not insane where those chilies where you eat them. And then you can't concentrate on anything else, let alone a conversation. <laughs> it's not the one where you start sweating and you get ulcers and, and blisters on your lips. Not that. It's just you have some and yep. it, it is really nice warming heat around your mouth. So I, I think it's a cracker. I think we've done good. Good. So if you don't mind a bit of chilli, this is going to appeal to you. You don't have to be a chilli fanatic to um, to want to have a go at this, right? No, you, you've got, you, don't have it. you don't have to have an insane chilli tolerance to it, but it's rocket fuel. I mean, it's typical of what you'd expect from the Mojo Radio Show. It's got a good kick in the pants. <laughs> Doing nothing by halves. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Chilli Bomb has got... It's just... I mean, and the other thing, folks, we're not getting anything out of this except some free chilli sauce. Um, but we just want to do something for Rocktober that was good for our listeners. Well, we needed something to go with the Dosecchis. <laughs> well, that's it. Leave us a review. Do the right thing, and we'll do the right thing back. And uh, we pay for it all ourselves, and... Uh, I reckon she's gold. Absolutely. It's Rocktober. Get out there. Get amongst it. The Mojo Radio Show. Hey, uh, just before we get to the guest, one quick thing. I was in a, with a bunch of CEOs in Bris Vegas, Brisbane, last week, and the CEO of East Coast Bull Bars, ECB Bull Bars, said in front of a dozen or 16-odd CEOs that he was a regular to the show and loved it. Oh, nice. Hmm. Well, I found another regular to the show. Hello to Tony Peterson from Copy Central who listens to our show every week too, a, a guy I used to work with a long time ago who now writes radio copy for his own business. So there you go. Tony. Tony. Tony, the big P. Tony. TP. And Ray. Ray from ECB. Ray there you go. From ECB. Good blokes. On board. Loving it. All right, here we go. Doing it. For your libido. The Mojo Radio Show's Bedroom Special. Our first guest in the Mojo in the Bedroom Show is Wendy Stragar. Now, Wendy is the founder and CEO of Good Clean Love. Now, Wendy's kind of a pioneer in the organic personal care product industry. Wendy is an entrepreneur all around the space of the bedroom, uh, an author, Wendy calls herself a loveologist and a sex educator. And it's fair to say that 
Wendy has helped thousands of people getting their libido and mojo working in the bedroom. I came across Wendy through her writing and Wendy has written a number of books. Her first book was Love That Works. Her more recent book was called Sex That Works. Wendy's a prolific writer. You'll see her stuff online. We'll put links to a lot of her stuff in the show notes. But um, we thought we'd start with the psychology and some of the thinking that goes into libido, mojo in the bedroom and everything that makes up our sex life. So, Wendy, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. So nice to be with you. I'm so grateful for you finding me and inviting me. Thank you. Now, Wendy, I have read your book and I find it interesting the terminology you use to describe what you do. When you do meet people and they ask you, what do you say? So I'm the founder and CEO of Good Clean Love also, and we make organic intimacy products. But I have always had the title Loveologist on my card from the time we were very, very small, like I was doing it in my home kitchen, to now where we're in 20,000 stores and actually more than that worldwide. But um, but I've always kept loveologist because at the very heart of the work I do, I really feel, I mean, I don't think about our company as a sex company. We don't make sex products. We make love products. And I've always um, studied and wrote about and, and, and thought about and taught about love, which is, you know, it's sort of cliche in some ways when people say this, but when you think of all the ologists there are in the world, I mean, at University of Oregon, there's a volcanology building, you know, so people who study volcanoes. It's just unbelievable to me that there is not loveology. And really one of my life goals is to is to have enough money to make a chair of loveology at University of Oregon or maybe my alma mater, University of Minnesota, so that people really get and understand that there's a extremely specific skill set um, about how you love people better and more. And it's not something that you get just because you're born human. In fact, for many people, I would say that that's a deficit. Um, and so it takes practice and, and it takes understanding and it takes attention. Gold out of the gate, Robbo. I was about to say exactly the same thing. Gold out of straight out of the gate. Out of the Absolutely. gate. Absolutely. Uh, Wendy, this, this is a topic that we have been wanting to do for quite a while on the Mojo Radio Show. And I think something that you have written about sort of, I think it sets the framework for why this is so important. It's been said, a dead sex life is the number one reason cited for the dissolution of a relationship. What, with all your work as a loveologist, the work you've done with your products, what what do you know about this issue? Um, well, so there's a few things that I can tell you just for the framework, which is that um, it is actually, you know, the, the death of a sex life is one of the number one reasons cited when people divorce and leave each other, even if they're not married. Um, but the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that it is never the sex life that dies first. So, you know, when I think about love, I often discuss it as a mechanism, like sort of, uh, I use a this metaphor of the environment because it really holds together so well. So the thing that most people don't understand when they think about their sex life is that they are building a fire. And this sensual fire actually means that 
We have to think about both the air that feeds it, which is the way we communicate. So if you're never self-disclosing in an intimate relationship, then you're basically not feeding that fire anything. And that happens in a lot of long-term relationships and even and even regularly in, in relationships where people first meet each other. They think, oh, they can just jump right to the sex and they don't even know what the other person's favorite color is or what foods they like. And they're just like, oh, I'll just come, you know, I'll see if I like you because I'll have sex with you. It's really ridiculous. But we're not going to talk about that for a second. So so how we communicate and what we say and what we don't say is everything about what feeds the fire of a relationship. And just as much as that is that there's the water which keeps a fire safe. And I think of that as the way we show up in a relationship. And so if you if you're never at somebody's back, you know, I mean, the water comes in and it goes out in the ocean, but so it's not like it's always there. But if people feel like there's nobody there for them, then it really is not safe for them to build this raw fire uh, in their soul, in their erotic soul. And so that also kills the sex life in, in people's lives. And what people rarely think about is how they think, which is how they think about themselves, how they think about who they love, how they think about the relationship they're in. And all of that is the ground of a relationship. And so many people like literally live in a marsh or volcanic ash, and then they wonder why they can't build a fire. So if you're constantly having bad thoughts about your partner, even if you don't say them, they know it. And it is affecting your ability to create an intimate space and hold an intimate space. So all of those things make your state that you started with true, which is that when a sex life dies in a marriage, it really puts this incredible burden on maintaining that relationship. But it's never the sex that dies first. It's all of these other things that we don't pay attention to that keeps the sex life vital. Wendy, is the thing that feeding this fire, is that our sexual identity? Is that what you're talking about there? Um, no. So, you know, I, in my last book, the one that you just read called Sex That Works, An Intimate Guide to Your Erotic Life, um, to Awakening Your Erotic Life, um, I talk a lot about the erotic soul. And so I do want to say that we all have an erotic soul. And, and after we eat, sleep, and drink, um, it's the next part of us that makes us who we are. So it's like a survival trait. You know, it, you know, it's something that emerges in us when we're very young, when we're maybe 12 or 13 or 14 years old. Um, and to the degree that we don't have any language to know that part of ourselves, um, and we try to silence and suppress the needs of that part of ourselves, um, then that actually times impacts how couples even are unable to connect to each other in that kind of erotically sexual way. So I don't know if I just answered your question, but so it is kind of, I think, when you think about what our soul is, it is deeply erotic. What does that mean? So our soul is deeply erotic. How do I how do I take advantage of that? If that is true and there is a listener on the show right now with us on this journey and they go, okay, I kind of I kind of understand that. What do I do with that? How how do I action that? Well, I think that 
everything that is real about us becomes more real through education. And so when I say education, I, I mean that the, to the degree that we want to know something, that we're curious, that we actually actively seek out more information and, um, and that we give ourselves permission and we encourage ourselves so that we live courageously into those places that we want to know more, that that is how that erotic part of ourselves, which I really feel like is a soul part of us, um, starts to wake up. You know, it's like um, we're all sort of born with this seed of, you know, wanting deep intimacy, wanting pleasure, you know, wanting uh, to feel that kind of unique connection that really only happens in intimate love. So mm. without going too far, of course, we know that orgasm is the only space that is like this total reset for mind, body, soul right? Emotions. And, um, and that we can't achieve that orgasm, which is what the French call the petite mort. So that's like the little death. So something kind of has to die in us. And you could argue that that thing that has to die is the ego in order for us to sort of surrender to the power of this erotic soul, which allows us these exquisite experiences of divine connection to other people and to the divine itself when we orgasm. There's really no other experience on the earth that comes close. So if we, if we explore that a bit, Wendy, the, the ego part, and I'm going to try and put a few of these things together in my mind. Putting the ego aside, is that what you refer to as creating space for our sexual freedom? And then the other part that sits in the back of my mind is you talked about encouraging curiosity as part of the erotic soul. Is, is all this saying, put aside your ego, find your own sexual freedom and be curious enough to... Ex- so you're asking such good questions and such challenging questions that don't have easy answers. So let me see if I can... <laughs> In other words, they're crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can see how my mind works. It's a bit of a mess. The thing is, is this, right? Like when you... It's not like the ego is some evil part of us. But to the degree that we know ourselves only through our ego... Right. And then we're really much more concerned about how other people perceive us. Right. That's like this whole social media rise. And and we're much more driven by how things look than how they feel, you know, and we're much expressive of the challenging parts of our emotional experience. You know, the, the ego sort of creates all of those conundrums in us. Um, and it's a good defense mechanism. There's many places where that's really important and functions well. It does not function well when you want to be deeply intimate with somebody. If anything, it, like, prevents that. So, you know, a lot of men in America, um, you know, have this sort of conquest idea about sex, that mm-hmm. there's this thing that they're trying to get 
you know, which I think is very ego driven, you know, and it's not a listening kind of sexuality. It's like, you know, little boys say to each other, how far did you get? first base, second base, right? And, you know, I lived in France for a while and and I and I had some French lovers there, which was really quite an experience. And and one of them told me, I was I was in my twenties, you know, that boys in France ask each other how long did she scream? So so think so think about that different approach of like really wanting to know what it is that makes somebody else feel this kind of crazy pleasure that's really hard to access, you know, versus trying to get to your hand down somebody's pants, whether they want your hand there or not. Um, so, so that's how I, when I'm talking about ego and how I think that that is not really a, a force of curiosity. That's, kind of a distinction I could make. Does that clarify a little bit? It does. And if I lead on from that, uh, you you spoke in the book beautifully about sort of one following their fantasies. And if we ignore the fantasies that make us uncomfortable, that can be to our detriment. And that the fantasies that... Gary, you're reading the hard parts of the whole book. You know, the, the hard like, parts. Yeah, this is that that chapter was like five rewrites. Damn <laughs> <laughs> you, damn you, GB. Uh, but it's I, really I, I think hard to talk about you know because well, it, it's hard for, on so many levels, right? Because we have fantasies. I mean, let's just say a few facts that help us give a context of why fantasy is such a challenging thing. So one thing we know is that um, 35% of internet content is pornographic. So maybe more now, but last time I checked, it was 35%. So we're witnessing a lot of visual, fictional fantasy, and it's widely available. Um, And... um, And some of it is very violent and to the degree that many places don't provide sexual education and pornography has replaced sex education largely in many places in the world as what we know about sex, we get a lot of weird messages about fantasy, right? Where we see women in what looks like a rape having orgasms. Mm, Yeah. then we, then we think, oh, well, women must really like that. I mean, if you're a young man and that's the only information you've had and you're coming to sex because you want to um, prove your manhood, which is a really big part of what motivates young men in their sexuality, um, then you're like you're not getting this breadth of information and you're probably not even in touch with your own fantasy life. So, so there's that layer that makes fantasy really hard, right? So there's that. And in America and probably in Australia too, we have this massive problem of consent so that, you know, to the degree that people, many people, especially young people, have very little language to describe the sexuality that they want to engage with, they have even less language to describe what they don't want. So when we don't know and we can't use words to say what we want, 
It's not like we suddenly have those words for what we don't want. So we find a lot of young people who get into sexual encounters with this swipe right, all these stupid, crazy apps, you know, use a lot of drugs and alcohol in order to lift their inhibition level to do that kind of sex. And then, you know, girls find themselves often in situations that have gotten really out of control. And, and people are driven by different needs in those moments and nobody's communicating. So all of those things really come to bear. And then because what happens in people's fantasies is that they often have fantasies that are totally outside of what is socially acceptable. And then those, those, those fantasies are frightening to them because they think, how did this happen in me? What, what could have created these fantasies? And so a lot of people avoid them entirely um, or use other sources of fantasy life like erotica or pornography or whatever, various forms of pornography. Um, but I read this book once and I quoted in the book that I wrote uh, that's called Your Brain on Sex. And this very learned sex therapist talked about the thousands of people he saw who realized that their fantasy life was actually something that happened in their subconscious mind when they were just coming into their sexuality. And it happened um, when they were in their 12 to 14-year-old range where we are just really becoming sexual. And, um, uh, and basically the brain, in the same way that it creates dreams when we're asleep to like deal with the things that we can't deal with in our head, it does that with the painful parts of our childhood. And so it eroticizes and brings pleasure to things that are painful through fantasy. And that makes so much sense when you dig into it a little bit, even though it's kind of alarming. And I started to look at my fantasy life. I wasn't really, it wasn't until I was in my late 30s that I stopped trying to suppress it. And, you know, I have a lot of submission fantasies, which is very common. It's one of the very primary themes of most pornography is submission and dominance. So we know that those mechanisms are very, very core to what it is to be sexual on planet Earth. Um, and they come up in ways that are totally politically inappropriate. And, you know, um, and so they're very scary for a lot of people to look at. And I know when they happened to me, I was like, whoa, was I raped as a kid? What, how did this, these ideas happen to me? Um, and then I met Stanley Siegel and I started to understand a little bit more and I stopped being afraid of my fantasies. I couldn't tell anybody about them, but I just let them roll when I would have sex. And it is an incredible rocket fuel for your passionate life. There is no better rocket fuel than the fantasies that your subconscious mind created for you. So I just want to ask you about that, Wendy. You were married for a decade before you started to understand how your own fantasies worked. 15 years I was married. And you said that part of it was having the courage to say them out loud. So with your husband, I guess where I wanted to go no, with this No, you misread. Is- I never told him out loud what they were. And in 
In fact, there's many fantasies I still won't tell him out loud, even after the publication of the book, um, because I can't get, I can't say the words. I can't get myself to say those words. Um, but it doesn't seem to matter because he seems to just be coming along just fine. He doesn't need to know the material <laughs> of my sex life in order for him to like experience the power of that stuff going through me. And, you know, there have been a few times when we considered, and I write about this in the book, like sort of playing out some of the things we have talked about, like doing a threesome, like in Vegas or something, or, you know, there's a few things that, you know, where I would be directing this third party, right. Or whatever, something like that. But, you know, the thing that people, I think, misunderstand about fantasy life is two things one is that once you bring something into 3d it's not a fantasy anymore and there's real repercussions and real ways that that impacts your day-to-day life not just your sex life and I personally never felt the need to make that risk to take that risk because it works just fine for it to just happen inside of me so that's one thing. The other thing is, is that I talk about this fantasy life that I, that something happened when I had this contractor come to my house and fix my kitchen floor. And, you know, he was all very kind and solicitous and I was doing the cabinets and, you know, there was this spark between us, like that many people have that spark that happens with somebody they know at work or somebody that they, you know, see at the water cooler or meet at a bar. And we think somehow that that experience with that person will be more exciting and vivid than the sex we can have with our own partner. In fact, there was a long, long article in the New York Times Magazine in May about this very topic about how a lot of long married couples have decided to open their relationships up again um, so that they could get this little spark thrown into their fire of having sex with somebody else. Problem is that there's a lot of dangers, emotional dangers of doing that, that even many people in the article sort of say that it just was too hard. It was too hard to maintain that many more sexual relationships when the, within the context of a relationship. So, you know, so fantasy is a hard thing to talk about, um, but it's really easy if you just let your fantasies happen inside of you and you just, like, let them feed that sexual moment and don't get too afraid of them and and you don't have to do very much about them. That's really powerful right there. Um, and that's mostly what I, what I tell people. Just start with that before you concoct some crazy idea that, you know, you're going to make your husband get dressed up like a priest and get dressed up like a nun so you can deal with your fantasy. I mean, maybe that would work for you, but I think if you just think it, that is pretty powerful. We, we see articles all the time saying – if you have, if you are in amongst the majority, a normal sex life is. Yet, I've also read that normal is very predictable, uh, middle of the road, beige. It's the average. However, it's believed that a passionate sex life shouldn't be predictable or boring, and it should, in some ways, exceed kind of our expectations of what normal is. In your mind. Wendy, of your own experiences and having worked with lots and lots of people in this area, what would, if it's not normal, 
what would a flourishing sex life look like? Uh, <laughs> there's a million ways I can answer that question, you know. Um, but I want to say a couple of things that are really important. And it's actually one of the titles of one of the chapters, early chapters in the book, which is Beyond Normal. You know, so it's the idea that um, the best thing you can do for your sex life no matter where it is on the spectrum, is to give up this idea of comparing it to or being concerned about it being normal or not normal. That being said, the first question everyone asks when they go see a therapist is, is this normal? Are they normal? Am I normal? Right? Like to the degree that we have so little language for our sexual lives and we know our erotic self so little, we are always afraid that we're on the outside of normal. Like when I first started seeing those fantasies of mine, many of which are completely politically inappropriate that I would not say on any show, I thought, fuck, this must not be normal. And I was afraid. I'm married to a psychiatrist and I couldn't even ask him, is this normal? Right. So that's the depth of the fear that people have about normal, whether they're looking at their fantasies or whether they're just wondering, you know, is my inhibitions normal or is the number of times we have sex normal or, you know, or like, I mean, a million ways that people are afraid that their experience, which we largely are silent about, is not normal. We've talked about pornography does does media in general shape that though? Because I've you see movies like, and, and you see people talking about you know um, we don't want to have kids because we want to be able to have sex on the kitchen floor when it, when the moment takes us, or we want to be able to have sex here or do this. Does that shape our idea of what a, a normal sex life should be like? Um, you are asking such hard, complicated questions that are actually ten questions in one. So let me say one more thing about normal, and then I'll say something about media. So it's like if you get to a place where you can actually just believe that what you want and, and, and that you actually have the courage to want, right? Because where most people's sex lives break is that they give up the ability or the, the capacity to want to want, Right. Because it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there and and really claim pleasure. Right. Whether it's on the kitchen floor or in the bathtub or in the shower or just your run of the mill, you know, in the bed on a Saturday evening. Right. Like, I mean, it's good to mix up the place. And it's good to mix up whatever you can throw in that makes it a little bit different. For me, just because I can really rely on my fantasy life to lead me into unexpected places every time I let it unroll, that's enough. Like, I, that's enough fuel for me. And, and um, you know, and so, I mean, I think, you know... Um, if you're doing things that are consensual, which means everyone wants to be there and everybody is feeling pleasure. So it's like both people are really enjoying it and they're not just saying, well, he liked it. So that's good enough, you know, but like really both people are open to figuring out where are those erotic zones and that they're willing to slow down the time of making love. In America, the average amount of time people make love is seven to 10 minutes. And so if 
men are a microwave and women are a slow cooker. The slow cooker is just warming up at seven minutes. So, you know, it's like you got to find a time frame and it's like, what else are you going to be doing that's better than this? So why are you not experimenting with other things and having more time? And then all of those things fall into the range of normal. And so <clears throat> I think that's kind of a question about the normal. In terms of media kind of confusing us about sex, yes, yes, yes. Media confuses the conversation about sex every way that it can. It confuses it by saying that if you're in a long-term relationship, you're bound to lose the passion. It confuses women by sexualizing girls when they're at a very young age so that they can't tell the difference between feeling sexy because a man whistles at them or is attracted to them versus actually figuring out what it feels like and where it feels good to be touched, which is sexual. A lot of women don't know the difference of those two places. And that's all driven by media. You know, so, so yes, we, we, all, we usually talk about the wrong thing. And we usually show images that we believe are sexy in this kind of hot, racy way, but that are really inaccessible sexy for um, for most people to find in their own intimate life. So, Wendy, there is somebody listening to the show who completely buys into our conversation. He or her is going to go home today. more than their- one person. <laughs> <laughs> they are going to go home to their partners uh, tonight. And, for example, sexual desires or sexual drives are not equal. So there could be a disparity between libidos and or drives and or fantasies and or the desire or timing. So there's there's this inequalities between the partners. There's a guy or girl going home tonight who wants to start addressing these things. They're going to walk in the front door to their partner. Where do we start to actually... If, if it's, say, it's broken or it's not great, how, what's the starting point to getting this on track? Um, so this is what I write about frequently, actually, um, not just in the book, but it's all over the Internet, too. And I call it the initiation question. Um, and so it's not like probably. It's like definitely 100% certain that after you're with somebody over some period of time, and that could be six months to seven years, there will be definitely a disparity between how often people want to have sex, how long they want to have sex, what kind of sex they want to have. And we, in a cliche kind of way, anticipate that it's the man that wants more sex and and, and the women who don't want as much sex. I have had the experience of being on both sides of that fence. And so I think it's important to say that neither side, neither the side that's asking or the side that's saying no is winning that battle. But I just want to say that the battle is being lost by every couple that keeps score on that battle. And we keep score on that battle because it's so incredibly painful. It's probably the most heartbreaking of all the disagreements that couples experience because you promised that you would love them and you're not able to. 
and you are legitimately not having some extremely important physiological needs met. So there's real issues at stake, but to the degree that we turn it into a scorekeeping thing, which I did for many, many years in the, very, in the first 10 years of my marriage, um, of wanting my husband and him not wanting me, and of him wanting me at other points and not me wanting him. And it probably would have made us divorce if we had not kind of come to this breakthrough moment where he gave me this lingerie and in my mind that was that was him inviting me into living inside of my sexual self. And I had good reason to say no. I could have said, you know what, fuck you, it's been this many years, never mind. But I really had been trying very hard not to be divorced because I grew up in a divorce. I had four children. I, I was very sexual. I wanted to be sexual. And so I said yes. And, um, and that really changed everything because then we stopped that whole dilemma of, you know, who wanted who just stopped. And, um, and it was as though it never happened, which is really what forgiveness feels like is when you can't remember how it was before. Um, but, you know, that said, um, you can't demand forgiveness. You can only surrender to it. And the way you surrender to it is by giving the other side the benefit of the doubt. And so you have to be willing to let go of something, both being rejected and rejecting, right? You have to be willing to be curious. What else is here that I didn't know about? And, and, and partly, Gary, I really think that comes back to, to like being responsible for your own sexual needs, so, like, you know, I don't understand when women, after they have children, is one of the big times when they walk away from their sex life because their body's different, they have these kids that are on them all the time, their partner is not stepping up the way they thought he would, whatever, all kinds of reasons, right? And, um, and then women just say, ah, I don't really want this anymore. I'm not really interested in my libido. And, you know, if you've grown up with any kind of church or other reasons to feel shame or guilt about your sexuality, then that just feeds that fire. And then your partner is left very much alone um, and, you know, will either become an asshole or be really pushy or, or go away from you. Um, and... Um, and it's all incredibly sad and it's sad for the children and it's, and it's sad for the dream of what that family would be. Um, and so this is why everybody has to come to the bedroom saying, okay, I want to find out where that sexual part of me is. I can't quite find it, but, but I, I want to know about it. You know, because nobody can make somebody else feel that way. And a lot of women are waiting for somebody to make them feel that way. And, you know, even if he picks up his socks every day of the week, you know, there's these funny porn books for moms where they show guys like doing the diapers, picking up socks, whatever, you know, as though that like is a turn on. And maybe in some ways, you know, certainly when somebody's at your back, then you feel like you want to be, you, you feel safe to be sexual. But, but really there's a, there's an inner commitment 
to our own sexual erotic self that needs to be made in order for a couple's sexual life to progress. Wendy, you spoke about the scorecard, and I think this is a, a, a really important issue for all of us. When we're thinking of our partner, does good intimate sex have to finish in an orgasm? Because that seems to be the, the basis of scorecards. Um, well, so no. I think the basis of the scorecard I was thinking about is um, this idea that you're afraid to ask for what you want, you know, or you're afraid you'll be rejected, um, which is much more heartbreaking even than never being able to orgasm. But let's talk about orgasm for a minute because you're all the way in Australia and we're going to run out of time. So let's know a few things about orgasm so we can think about why this is so challenging. So here's, the, I think, the most important fact that many, many people are unaware of when it comes to orgasm, which is that the part of your brain that needs to surrender to your body, which knows how to orgasm, everybody has that, cannot function at the same time as the part of your brain that's anxious about whether you'll orgasm. So that's a real catch-22. So if you're worried about what your body image is or if you're worried that you don't have enough time, the kids will wake up, or if you're thinking about how the books are not balancing at your job or any kind of anxiety at all, orgasm is out of reach. And if you're also thinking that this is a performance race about how will I get to the end, will it work, will, will I come, and both men and women have this, not just women, you know, then you're basically running a race that you can't win. So my advice to these people that I give over and over again, and I'm going to give to you right now, is, and it's in the chapter called Sensation. And it starts the book, really, about learning to feel. So the surrender of, or in order to be able to find and, and release to our body knowledge that knows that, we have to live in our body. That means we have to taste our food. We have to smell the summer breeze. We have to like, you know, have time to like feel the many sensations a body can feel. Because if you can't do that in the day to day, how can you step into a bedroom for seven minutes and expect that your body can find those sensations? It takes practice, it takes attention, right? So if you give it attention, our senses are amazing. Our hands are a symphony of sensation, literally a symphony. But you can't have that experience in a hurry. Or if you're worried that you're doing it wrong. Or if you're worried if you're going to get there. The interesting thing about most things in life is that when you stop trying to control them, and you just start becoming a witness to your experience, you fall into it and all kinds of things can happen for you that you couldn't have made happen in any other way. So that's the, really the bottom line about orgasm. And so mm -hmm. if somebody's in a bedroom and they're just waiting to be in an intimate conversation and they can just feel somebody's hands over their inner thigh, the nape of their neck. 
and you use some beautiful love oil or something that makes the genitals slippery, the tissue itself responds differently, just feeling it. So I don't know what will happen next. But if you haven't even done that, then to expect that you could get to some internal combustion is ridiculous. Wendy, just uh, we are conscious of time. Uh, one thing I, I would like to query on is self-pleasure. And sex educators over the world call masturbation the cornerstone of sexuality. Based on what we've covered so far in the show, where does self-pleasuring fit in in your mind? So all the stuff we've talked about in terms of the erotic soul and 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 exploring your sexual freedom, where, where does it sit with all that and why, why, if any, is it important? Well, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like you picked a great quote and, and I think it's really important because if you don't know your own pleasure response, then not only are you abdicating that gift to somebody else and then say you meet a guy and he actually brings you to orgasm, then you think that orgasm belongs to him. No, it belongs to you, you know, so, so, and the more that you know about that orchestration of where it feels good to be touched and what speed and what kind of strokes feel good, the more that you can actually share that information and, you know, mutual masturbation becomes a real thing in a, in a sex life, you know? And so, you know, masturbation we know is not just the cornerstone, but it's the most common sexual act on the planet, right? Little babies do it. I mean, it's just part of what it is to be an erotic soul, you know, even before we discover that part of ourselves. And yet many, many people, and we know historically, you know, little boys had these terrible harnesses put on them that if they would get an erection in their pants, these sharp prongs would cut into their penis. So it's like we have so much history to overcome, but, 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 but masturbation and is is the gateway to this sexual freedom to becoming responsible for your sexual self and and having a language for what feels good for you that's that's how you learn it wendy just before we uh we let you go there was a a quote that i found of yours that i'd just like you to elaborate for us you said you are what you love not what loves you back what, what does that mean? Just explain that for me. Um, yeah, you know, you are such a good reader um, because you picked out the very heart. Like every question, you picked out the heart of the book. I think that's a really important thing. And, um, and I think that we get caught up that love is only real if it's reciprocated. And not only if it's reciprocated, but reciprocated exactly the way we want right? So most of us on this planet have a Mack truck of love coming at us almost every day of the week. And yet we refuse to see it because it doesn't look the way we want, or the person doesn't quite do it right. Or maybe they don't feel that way about us. And then somehow we believe that our love is less real because the person we love doesn't feel exactly that way. And, and I, um, I just think that's I think that's a way that we set ourselves up for a lot of unhappiness and dissatisfaction in the relationships we live in. You know, the truth is that we don't get to pick the love we get. We only get to really choose to receive the love that comes to us. 
that's maybe like a hard truth. And maybe there's a lot of young people listening that would say that's bullshit. I don't believe that. But I think by the time they're 40 or 50, they'll see that it's true that, you know, and, and my son just recently had a heartbreak where he really loved this girl. She was they're 21 and 19, so not un- unbelievable that it would happen this way. And the girl really loved him until she couldn't anymore. And and um, I, for whatever reasons that she couldn't. And she had to spin the whole thing in this twisted way. And it was so heartbreaking for him. But what I kept trying to tell him over and over again was that your experience of love is no less real. No matter what happens when it comes back to you, you know, that he really did feel and know and experience all those things as we do when we love someone, when we have the the courage, it takes so much courage to actually love somebody and whether they love us back exactly the way we want them to, or for that matter at all, our heart still gets bigger for loving them and stronger and bolder. And so that's the other thing, like heartbreak, we're also so terrified of heartbreak, but it's actually only heartbreak that makes our hearts more capable. So that's a really good thing to know. Goals. Um, two, two final things, Wendy, because I am conscious of the time, but I've got a lot here I want to ask you, but I'm going to, I'm going to nail it down to my top two things at the end. And here's just a, a curious thing that I saw uh, on I think Mind Body Green talked about an article that was on DrEd.com, which is a, a health and sexual wellness site in the UK. They said that sending uh, sexual photos or sexts of yourself to your partner was a great way to lead to a more fulfilling sex life. And they even said that just doing it a couple of times a month is based on a survey of 2,000 men and women, that even doing it a couple of times a month, uh, 33% of the people said it led to more mojo in the bedroom. Do you have a view on that as part of the, I guess, the learnings and what you write about? Is that type of thing in today's digital age, have you found that to be something which can fuel our mojo in the bedroom? So, you know, here I have to admit my age, right? Like, you know, I'm in my (laughs) 50s. And so I know about all this, but I would never, you know, the truth is that what we put in the world on digital media does not go away. So the idea that somebody could not take a photo and do something that you would never anticipate, we know, we hear stories about this all the time. So, you know, maybe if it's to just your partner, you know, there's some security in that. And, but, you know, so, and maybe, you know, there's this, you know, breast and you see it on your phone and then I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe that actually really would be a turn on, but you know, I, when I talk to my daughters, um, and even people, young women who've worked for me, it's like, I just feel like no one deserves these to own erotic imagery of anybody else. Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I know whatever I'm reflecting my age and I'm not saying that that survey is not true. Um, I think that it should come with a lot of caveats. 
um, because it could create issues that you can't envision when you do it. And, and it's just the thing is, is that so many people, because of the way we treat sex digitally, have so much erotic injury. You know, whether it's with this sort of sequential swipe right disaster or, you know, um, or whatever it is. I mean, so many young people are get so injured erotically that they it's like it, it creates damage for years. So I just feel like this is probably the most sacred thing that we give somebody. And there was a time, maybe it's old fashioned, when we treated it that way. A guy took a woman out to like dinner a few times. He like knew what her favorite color was. You know, we didn't start with sex. I just, I, what I really believe is that sexuality deserves a strong container. And if you're gonna dive deep into the mystery of who you are erotically, it needs a place to be held. And strangers do not have anything holding it. You know, and even a lot of people who've only been out a half a dozen times, which is why a lot of people don't really have the kind of sex they want to have unless they get totally wasted and then they can't even remember the sex. So, mm. you know, I, you know, I think that it's it's divine. Good sex is as close as we get to God when we're really in it. You know, there's something that transports us beyond space and time when you're having really amazing sex. So, Wendy, just to finish up, uh, you run Good Clean Love, a beautiful website. Tell us about the website, and is that where you would send people to find out more about you, your mission, your work, your books? Yeah, so um, Good Clean Love uh, I invented to save my own marriage and my own sex life, and our products are really beautiful. Um, And the heart of what we do is really what we've been talking about all this time, about really like our mission statement is to expand and the experience and awareness of love in the world. And so um, so our products, I think, do that in many, many ways, both for sexuality and feminine hygiene. I don't think there's anything as good or scientifically advanced on the market. Um, and I have my blog, Making Love Sustainable, is on Good Clean Love. But I also have another website called wendystragar.com, which talks a little bit about me and my personal life. And my books are featured there. Um, so either of those places is a good place to look. They can sign up for the newsletter where I send more information. Like I'm continuously writing today. I wrote about consent. So, you know, there's always good information coming. Good, clean love started with kind of lubrication in a way, didn't it? it, You, you started in your kitchen by blending in order to find personal lubricants that work for you, that must have been quite a breakthrough. Is that a, a big part, if you think of a, a, a healthy sex life for a couple, is to use lubricants in some way? Um, I am a really big believer in lubrication. And like many things, we don't know something's broken until we start, until we fix it. So, you know, when you're at a party and nobody's talking, there's like a serious lack of lubrication. So people will break out the wine or the beer and suddenly people open up. And I think in much the same way, um, you know, a machine that's not lubricated will lock up. And I think in, in that same in vein, you know, when you use really healthy, clean lubricants, no petrochemicals, how, whatever kind of lubricant you want to use, and you, and you, you, you learn about your genitals in a new way. 
that tissue responds differently to lubrication than not lubrication. And, you know, there's a million reasons why women don't naturally lubricate, whether it's age or, or um, medications or stress. There's tons of reasons. Um, and I always say that more is better when it comes to lubricant. So, you know, um, you know, it is definitely part of my sexual religion to use lubricant. Sure. Well, this has been fantastic, Wendy. It's a, a show we have wanted to do from the get-go. We've now about 150 shows in to the Mojo Radio Show. We want to do it right from the start. And I've got to say, I think it's fair to, I think it's fair to say, Robbo, that we were a bit, well, I was a bit fearful <laughs> about how, well, I was, about how do you approach this topic, which, mm. you know, we've always said the show is about bedroom to the boardroom. We've done the boardroom well. We've done wellness and health and brain and community. We've done all that you know, quite extensively, but the bedroom part, we didn't know how to approach it. I thought you were the right person, Wendy, but you've proved right now that you are the right person. That was just such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for sharing. I'm so happy that you discovered me and that I reflect. I mean, here's the thing. All sex should be talked about like this. Think how normal we would be. Mm. Like if this was the norm, we would be normal. And, it, and I always say that if we could only solve one problem in the world and it was sexual, we would solve all the problems. Yeah. So, you know, so, yeah, anytime, call me back and we'll do it again. And I am very grateful always to have this part of who I am um, expressed. So I'm really grateful that you that you found me and and that you wanted to hear me. So thank you. Well, you know, the next show, what that needs to be about, if we've always talked about from the boardroom to the bedroom, the next show we need to talk about is sex in the boardroom. Yeah, that's a whole different thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much I'll be able to tell you about that. Um, yeah, that's why he's yeah. a producer. The Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> Well, that was good. I, I, you feel like you're a mate, don't you? Like you feel you feel as though Wendy's <laughs> just sitting in the pub having a couple of shards, just you know talking, just chatting about shagging. And speaking of which, <laughs> Robo, our next guest on the show would be it would be very remiss of us not to have our old mate Smithy back on our show, particularly talking about sex, don't you reckon? Well, you know, apparently he is the maestro of the bedroom. Well, they actually called him the Lord of the Lounge. The Lord of the Lounge. The the king of the house call. (laughs) The master of the boudoir. I've actually heard him refer to in 1770. So uh, (laughs) we've got him on the line to talk about all things libido. He is our go-to doc. We call him Smithy. Uh, Smithy, welcome to the show, mate. Smithy. Thanks, guys. How are you doing? So good, mate. So good. Doing great. Now, Michael, you are a an expert in everything uh, naturopathic, medicinal. You're up to date with the latest trends of what's going on. We wanted to chat to you about the stuff that we can do in our daily lives to fire up our libido. If we start with that part of it, if you were prescribing to someone that you work with through Planet Naturopath a day of food to improve their libido and sex drive, where do we start? What would you say? The natural foods are, I'd recommend uh, are just the, the, the basics of making sure you're getting plenty of good fats. A lot of people don't eat enough fat, especially saturated fat. Saturated fats like the building blocks of making cholesterol, which is the precursor to making testosterone and your sex hormones. 
eating nutrient dense foods like your you know oysters are famous for their uh, libido producing abilities because they're so rich in zinc but otherwise you know we've chatted about this before you've got your organ meats they're a lot more nutrient dense than other foods uh, fruits vegetables just making sure you're getting plenty of things that a lot of people just don't get enough of these days and so while you're adding in all those beneficial foods you want to be avoiding or not 100 percent, but reducing down your processed foods your refined sugars uh the trans fats and the polyunsaturated vegetable oils which can have the negative effect on producing sex hormones so a a couple of things there because we hear about oysters a lot but there's actually science behind it. So oysters are full of zinc. Zinc is a good precursor helping us get our libido working. You talked about fats and I suspect you're talking coconut oil and sort of raw nuts and grass-fed meats and avocados and olive oils and stuff like that. Is that is that the stuff you're talking about to get these essential good uh, saturated fats to help us get our sex drive going? Yeah, so good good quality meats, good quality dairy, your, your coconut oil, your olive oil, uh, and avoiding those processed oils, that's probably one of the, the biggest keys. So a lot of people are focusing on lower fat, but you need you know around the 40% fat in your diet to produce enough uh, enough of the good the, the precursors to make cholesterol. A low-fat diet is associated with low testosterone. For the beginners out there, Smithy, just quickly, what are the bad ones? What what do they include? Oh, just your your vegetable oils, your rice bran oils, basically anything that's industrial processed. Right. If if you saw how these soybean oils, canola oils, if you saw how they were actually manufactured, mm. no one would touch them. They like they end up coming out. They're chemically processed. They come out black, and then they're bleached a beautiful color to fit in the bottles on the shelf. If people knew what <laughs> how they were made, they wouldn't eat them anyway. Yeah, and they're right. promoted for their like health benefits. So we're talking zincs. Uh, now I've heard vitamin D is actually something that is a good essential vitamin that we need to help our get our sex drive working. Smithy, we've we've been down the track of vitamin D before on the show. I don't know whether we spent any time talking about its ability to help us get a libido working. Is that is that something that you would subscribe to? Yeah, so if someone's struggling with, you know, low sex drive, low libido, getting their vitamin D levels checked would be on my checklist of things to do. And if it's low, just getting out getting more sunshine is a good place to start. Or if it's really low, they may even need supplementation. But vitamin D is really important for yeah, testosterone and hormone production. You know what you could do there, Gaz? Sex outdoors. Yeah, nice. You're Sex in the sun. What, that's what we call you, the ideas guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I have read and I've introduced, Smithy, is I heard a lady speak recently that our Omega-6 oils um, aren't being given the prominence that they deserve and that the Omega-6s like, and she's especially mentioned flaxseed oil, um, is something that can actually help drive our sexual desires. And the other one that you mentioned was nettle root. Do you have a perspective on those two? So your body needs omega-6s, but a lot of those oils that I mentioned before about avoiding all your vegetable oils, they're, they're omega-6 fats. But most people get too much of the omega-6s in the diet compared to omega-3, so you need the balance. So things like you mentioned the flaxseed, 
that's a that, that would be a beneficial uh, one right. rather than the, uh, the inflammatory one. What was the other one? Nettle root. Nettle root has been something I've seen and heard mentioned a number of times in the last uh, couple of months. Um, not just the leaf itself, you know, stinging nettle, not just the leaf itself, but as an elixir using the whole root of the plant. Uh, have you heard of that? Yeah, so there's quite a few different herbs that can help with libido and help with, you know, circulation to improve your sex drive. But you'd be wanting to focus on all the diet, like the diet, the sleep, the vitamin D, the stress first. And then those supplements can definitely help as an addition down the track. Stinging nettle's got a a whole range of benefits, doesn't it, Smithy? I've, I've seen a number of like TV chefs and people online cooking with it. Am, am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, it has good uh, kidney function, lymphatic function. They're the main. They're the main uh, reasons for taking it. Now, Smithy, at the top of the show, you talked about stress. It's fair to say that we all live in a pretty busy, if not hectic lifestyle. Most households are pretty hectic. And I'm just curious about the effect when we are busy and stressed, it releases adrenaline and cortisol. And my understanding is that this actually, from a male, can cause erectile dysfunction. Do you have a perspective on that? Yeah, so stress produces cortisol and cortisol and DHEA, so your body will make uh, more cortisol to the de- detriment of making testosterone. So, and plus, cortisol is pro-inflammatory. It's going to affect testosterone levels on that side of things as well. When we talk about testosterone, is the flip side for the ladies listening to the show? Is the flip side the same effect for estrogen? for women as it is for testosterone for men? Not quite. Testosterone is still important for women. So women with low testosterone will, will have low libido, low motivation, some of the same sort of symptoms as men. But if they've got like an estrogen progesterone imbalance, that's also going to be a problem. So they've got more hormones to sort of worry about. The same sort of thing with men. Men can have too much estrogen and not enough progesterone, and that can be caused by a lot of the the chemicals in our environment, the cosmetics and even shaving creams and shampoos and uh, drinking bottles, cooking things. So all those sort of things can affect your testosterone and estrogen. So so many men and or and women can have excess estrogen. And so for men, that'll be the man boobs, the, the weight around the waist, and they'll end up with lower testosterone. It's like a bit of, like, a, bit of a seesaw there. Who's that guy in Fight Club? Meatloaf plays and he has that trouble with the man boobs. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me think of when I hear you say that. That's the classic high, high estrogen. Yeah. Now, when we mentioned on the show that we might do a show like this on sex, I got a, a note from a lady and she said, before we got married, I noticed that my husband started to put on some weight. He actually can't stand the way he looks. And he said, it's just, it's, it's actually hard work for him to get aroused is there a link, Smithy, between being overweight, being unfit, and your, I guess, sexual drive or libido? Yeah, so there's the sex drive. So the weight, you know, it might even be in like an image problem, but being overweight will actually be the, one of the main causes of erectile dysfunction. So even if you can get an erection, you quickly lose it, which can, you know, spoil the party. So 
there's like a there's like I read a study once where from 42 inch waist and above is a 50 percent increased risk of erectile dysfunction. And one of the simplest things to do to improve erectile dysfunction is just lose weight, which will improve the circulation. The, the Robbo sent me a story during the week, knowing we were prepping for this show, and I guess it's something that really hadn't. I don't think it gets a let's just say the light of day it doesn't get a lot of publicity. But there's actually a lot of health benefits to having sex either by taking things into your own hands or with a partner. Now, the story that Robbo sent through was research from the Boston University of Public Health. And that research said that men who are aged 20 to 29 who ejaculated 21 times or more each month were almost 20% less likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer than those who ejaculated less often, like they said, four to seven. Now, I also found a study in the Journal of American Medical Association that said the same thing. I guess what I'm leading to is that by either masturbating and or having sex, you are actually doing good things for your system. Would that be right? Any excuse helps. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> whatever works for you, Whatever mate. gets Get you going. On. Get it on. <laughs> so, yeah, you'd be, you'd be reducing down the risk of, uh, for men, prostate, prostate uh, mainly prostate cancer rather than benign prostate hyperplasia. But right. that's definitely true. So if you don't use it, you lose it type of thing. You know, um, you know what we've just done, Gary, for all those like 21, 22-year-olds out there who are still li- living at home, if they, you know, get sprung by mum or dad walking into the bedroom while they're, you know, pleasuring themselves, shall we call it, they've got an excuse. But dad, but mum, I'm just, I'm looking after my prostate. <laughs> it's, a prost- it's a prostate thing, mum. It's a prostate thing. Now, whilst we're honest, Smithy, I've also read that uh, either doing it with yourself and or with a partner um, can boost your immune system and that by doing this and having a healthy sex life, um, it can give you a higher resistance against viruses and actual infections, you know, like the, the flu and stuff like that. Have you heard that or seen that? What's well, stimulating all like the beneficial neurotransmitters, your, your dopamine, your serotonin. So all that has an effect on your immune system and, and general well-being. So it actually, besides immune function, be good for your, you know, it's good for stress in itself. So people... People struggling with stress, you know, they just need to have more sex. People struggling, <laughs> you know, anxiety, depression. That's, that's why you're like so popular. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's the diagnosis today or the prescription. Smithy, what I what I think about with this is that when you actually put some time into it and you map out the foods, uh, supplementation, sunshine, exercise, stress, and then you go through, like Wendy talked about all the relationship benefits and there's health benefits. What it just makes me think about is that we, we don't plan for it. Like we don't, we don't actually set down goals and or a plan for our sexual performance. And it, it seems like we get to a, a point in our lives, we go, well, I'm married and it's all over or I'm at a certain age, obviously it's going to start to die off. But it, if, if we went down this track and we started to put these building blocks in, and it's not the magic bullet, but if you did it for 30, 45, 60 days, 
I'd be interested in your perspective as to whether you will start to feel a difference. And is it your belief that if we started to set a plan for this sort of stuff, then we could end up with a bit more Barry White action? Yeah, well, if, you, if you're having trouble with like libido, erectile dysfunction, that's, that's a sign that you're unhealthy anyway. So there's big connections between that and cardiovascular disease, diabetes, other major problems with health. So it's not just about having sex, it's about good health. So you want to change your diet, reduce the stress, everything for those benefits, for those reasons as well. And it doesn't take a long time to turn things around. You can turn things around in one to two months, especially if you, you know, and you don't have to be perfect either, but if you just tick off a few different things each time, uh, sometimes it's good to get an overall assessment of where your hormones are at. You know, are you at risk of diabetes? You know, what's your blood pressure like? Cardiovascular health? vitamin D, they're all important things that will affect your health, but it will also affect your libido and your sex drive and uh, whether you can keep it up for long enough. I think Gary just touched on it in his last question, um, and I'd like to sort of expand on it a little bit. All those things you've just mentioned, does that help our libido as we get older as well? Like do we need to do anything differently as we get older to keep our libido at a good level? Or is, of all those things we've already talked about, pretty much going to do that for us? Yeah, well, as men get plus 40, plus 50 and older, they're the ones mainly that are having problems with libido and sex drive and erectile dysfunction. Mm. But it's only because they're having problems in these other areas. Right. So all doesn't mean you have to have it. There's plenty of, you know, super healthy men. So it's addressing your your diet, as we've spoken about, but you know, even things like lifting weights and you know, not doing lots of cardio, like stressful type of exercise, um, eating eating right, making sure you're sleeping, all those sort of things will, yeah, improve your sex drive, but improve your health as well. So there's nothing genetic that causes us to lose sex drive as we get older then? There's possibly genes involved, but uh, yeah, there's, there's probably not enough known about that, but genes are only, genes are only part of the story. You you can influence your genes just through your diet and lifestyle. Mm. So, mm. You know, okay. just because you know your dad had problems doesn't mean you're going to have problems. Yeah, right. You know, your dad might have you know smoked and drank and did all the wrong things. So you can change that around with uh, just good diet lifestyle. Smithy, you mentioned resistance work or doing weights. I saw a report that said that for testosterone. Uh, apart from the things we've already been through on this show, that lifting weights was a good thing for people to do to increase their testosterone levels. You just mentioned that. Is that something we would do once a week? Is it prescribed to do it twice a week? What's what's the take on that for us to get a benefit from doing resistance work or sort of some sort of weight work? Generally two to three times a week, uh, lifting heavy weights. So even lifting heavy weights once a week would give you benefits. So it's, it's, it's in the, it's, it's in the, you want to be stressing the body, so to speak. And so you don't want to be doing it more than three times a week because you haven't got time to recover, but one to two times a week of heavy weights. So that's like not doing 15 reps, but you know, five rep max. Just out of interest, Smithy, it just occurred to me, and it's probably not pertinent just to, just to sex, but probably to our lives in general. When we talk about exercise and that sort of thing, does the amount of time each week we should spend exercising change for people who do manual labour? Yeah, because if you're sitting down in your recording studio all week, you need to get out there and get moving. But if you're 
yeah, if you're building houses, doing physical work, that's basically exercise. Yeah. You might want to focus on, but if it's not lifting heavy stuff, you still might want to do that once a week. Yeah. You might want to focus more on yoga and stretching and, and getting your body supple and in the best possible shape rather than doing lots of lots more cardio. Spithy, when you yourself personally start to feel like your sex drive or libido is starting to wane or you start to check in on yourself, what would be your process? What would you go through in terms of a checklist that Michael Smith would go through in your own mind to say, okay, where, where have I got to make some alterations? Probably for me it's it's the, the, the stress or the busyness, you know, making, making time and not working too much. Uh, diet's normally pretty well tuned in, uh, eat plenty of good fats and get that part of it right. So for me it's, it's managing time and uh, getting enough sleep and making sure I do all the right things that I tell other people they should do. So not staying up late at night, you know, that type of thing. I'm, I'm thinking sleep would have a big uh... – Based on what we've talked about thus far, you'd have to think the other building block which would steal people's libido would be lack of sleep, you reckon? Absolutely. So either even just not enough sleep because that's a stress on the body in itself or people who think they're sleeping through the night. Like if you've got sleep apnea, that's strongly associated with uh, erectile dysfunction, low libido, impotence. So if... You know, if you're waking up tired or if you're a snorer, you know, getting checked for sleep apnea is probably a good place to start too. Mm. And that's also associated then with being overweight. And so it's all kind of interconnected. So people who are overweight and have sleep apnea, uh, you know, they've got some actionable things they can change to get their health and sex drive back on track. Yeah, I think what we love about you, Smithy, is that it's actionable stuff. I mean, it's it's stuff that we should be doing, like Robbo said, for our general health. But I just think that people make excuses for it, for libido being down, their sex drive not there, or they blame their partner, or they've been too busy, or it's their age. But there have been a lot of reports recently of guys that are 70, 75 years old who are still active and waking up in the morning, you know, ready to go. Uh, but when you break it down into their sleep, the rituals they have, the food they eat, supplementation, spending time outdoors, all the stuff we've been through, it um, there doesn't really seem to be any natural barriers to getting it working. I mean, I'm sure there are some, like Rob, I was saying, there probably are some clinical issues that a lot of people have and struggle with that could perhaps be addressed with good diet, exercise and less stress. But for someone who's not being not suffering from a clinical issue, to, to your point, the, the building blocks are pretty basic, aren't they? And most people are more motivated when they when you tell them to, you know, they've got to change their ways because they might get heart disease or might get diabetes. <laughs> uh, they're not so inclined to change sometimes. <laughs> but if if they're having you know erectile dysfunction and you tell them to change and you give them all these things, they're normally a lot more motivated. So straight out of your office and into the supermarket. <laughs> but even the medications that people like people say they might have high blood pressure. It's like, well, I'm on a medication for that. You know, don't worry about it. But the medications can cause erectile dysfunction and low libido. So things like statins, blood pressure medications, antidepressants, um, they're all connected with 
uh, impotence and erectile dysfunction. Smithy, we won't hold you up any longer. You can go and make good use of your, your time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Great to catch up. As always, we are very grateful for your time. You're a wealth of knowledge. You're a top bloke. So Legend. We'll, uh, we will talk to you again, Smithy. All right, guys. Catch you later. The only show that leaves you with a pillow between your bum cheeks. Say what? Don't know why I said that. <laughs> The Mojo Radio Show's bedroom special. You gotta love a good chat with Smitty. He's good. He's, he's damn. He's, he's good. He's good. He's good. He's real good. He's real good. He's got to be like our most regular guest on the show by far, doesn't he? Surely. I mean, he's almost a part of the show. Let's be honest. Well, I'm actually also thinking we could probably, on you know, just to cost saving, maybe mm. we could move AP on and uh, get Smith to do the voiceovers <laughs> as well as be our resident doctor. Is that, a, is that an option? Well, you could give it a go. I'll send him a couple of scripts and see what comes back. Spithy with a with a couple of cartons of gaspers and a couple of bottles of bourbon. <laughs> I reckon he'd be right up the alley there with AP. <laughs> Radio show. You know what else we need to talk to Smitty about? Mm-hmm. What we need to do nutritionally to get ourselves through rocks over. That's good. Yeah, Rev, I've, got the, I've got that. Revy's, yeah. Rocket Fuel, Buddha Brew. Yeah. There's a trifecta for There you, you go. We're on it. We're away. It's not quite what we used to use in the old days of radio, Rocktober, but that'll do. Well, and that takes me back to our next guest, uh, Arnold Abana, the Sleep Muse. Now, we know that sleep is in the top three things of anything to do with mojo. In or out of the bedroom, if you want to get your mojo working, you've got to be getting your rest and your sleep. So we thought because it was that prevalent and it did come up during our research, it did come up during our interviews that you've got to be getting your sleep. We thought, well, if we're talking about mojo in the bedroom and we're talking sleep, we should get our good friend, Anna Devena, the sleep news on the line. Anna, welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you back. Hoorah! My favourite guest of all time. (laughs) Talking about my favourite topics. Yes. And sleep. <laughs> Is there anything else in life, really? Let's be honest. Mm, well, there's yummy food and True. Um, sunshine. So, Anna, we're doing a show to help us get our mojo working in the bedroom. And let, just let me set this up for a second. A University of Florida psychologist, Professor Laurie Mintz, said on CNN recently, being too tired is the number one reason that women blame for their loss of desire. And yesterday in the Telegraph, it was said that many women married to workaholic husbands have a lack of interest in the bedroom and it's causing them a problem. And the researchers are coming up with this answer saying, a lack of sex in the bedroom between partners could be resolved with a good night's sleep. What's your take on this? Because we're doing this show on... Mojo in the bedroom, which is about libido, desire. How big a part is sleep playing in all this? Well, a huge percentage of people aren't getting the sleep they need now, which is seven and a half to eight hours of good quality sleep is what we need to feel fully alive and you could say to really have our mojo going. And for men, you know, lack of sleep causes lower testosterone, which then 
decreases your desire for lovemaking. And with women, when they are lacking in sleep, stress goes up. I mean, stress goes up for everyone. And so then the mind is really active all the time and it's hard to unwind and come into that space where we can meet each other and feel that we have the energy to make love. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people think of it as a, a bonus kind of activity rather than an essential activity. And sadly, I hear that most people are in bed with their devices and um, that that's really killing our love life, but it's also destroying our sleep. And so, you know, both are very linked. So when we're on devices in bed, we're disrupting our sleep patterns to a degree that is really not understood by people and it really needs to be. So when we're on a screen for even just 15 minutes before we go to sleep, we interrupt our hormones that are needed for deep sleep. So we make it harder to get to sleep. And more importantly, we miss out on deep sleep, which is the sleep we need for repair and recovery so we can wake up with lots of energy and the kind of energy that we need to want to make love. So it's this, it's a cycle that we're in. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't realise how much it's really destroying quality of life and quality of intimacy. See, I don't understand why why we're not aware of this, Anna, when, I mean, you, you hear any doctor, wellness advocate, somebody working in the areas of enhancing people's lives and their top three things we can do to enhance every area of our life, it's always sleep. Why, why are we not taking this seriously when it's said that the number one breakdown of relationships is sexual performance and or desire, libido. In your findings, the people you're working with, why do we brush it aside? Why do we not think about, like we we have this thing where it's almost a badge of honour to say I can get by on three or four hours sleep, and maybe some people can. But the same people are having relationship issues where they're not getting any sex in the bedroom or anywhere, in fact. Why are we brushing it aside? I think there's there's a lack of awareness you know, there's a lack of education. So I don't know that it's like consciously brushing it aside, but it's more a real lack of awareness of the impact. You know, people can just get along feeling tired and almost it feels normal to feel tired. Oh, that's just life. And people don't realise that one extra hour or, you know, better quality sleep makes such a huge difference. They don't actually realise that and they don't understand that. So I think it comes down to lack of knowledge but also like more and more deeply ingrained habits as technology takes over our lives and our bedrooms. Part of the issue must be that partners get together, one is a night owl, one's an early bird, and so basically their programmed dial in their mind 
is out of whack. What advice would you have for a couple who are in that situation who want to get back to an area of intimacy between the two of them? So I would say to prioritise their intimacy and make dates for making love. So it's, you know, in, in this life that's just so full, you know, we actually have to say, okay, let's make love tonight. And, it, you know, whether one's feeling tired or whatever's going on, we're going to be there. We're going to meet each other and put aside the differences in terms of, well, I've got the energy in the morning, I've got the energy in the evening because that that can just cause a, a situation where you're not meeting. So make it a priority enough to come together and make an agreement that we're going to meet and we're going to make love. So I'm my, my, my partner is um, he's kind of coming out of being a night owl and he's coming more into enjoying the mornings, enjoying dawn, and he's feeling the difference in himself as he does that. So also um, I think having some flexibility that it's not just, well, I'm going to sleep at this time and I'm going to wake at that time, you know, and meeting each other somewhere in the middle, seeing how and acknowledging how just important it is, how crucial it is for relationship to make time for intimacy and put the devices down, you know, and start looking into each other's eyes instead of looking into the screens. And I think we're losing our we're, we're losing our ability to to be intimate for extended periods of time, which is what's needed for really nourishing sex and lovemaking. What does that mean, Anna? What do you mean? Extended periods of time. Just elaborate for me. When you say we're losing, you know that 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 thought or that impetus to to have intimacy for extended, what does that mean exactly? Well, you know, we're, we're so distracted now and our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I don't know if anyone else has brought up um, pornography, how much that affects the way that we think about lovemaking and um, intimacy and the the amount of men that have complained to me that their partners don't want to have sex anymore. And I always come back with the gentle question, have you asked them why? You know, how are we meeting each other and how nourishing and enjoyable is it? How many of us would say no to really awesomely nourishing, satisfying lovemaking? Who's going to say no to that? Mm. So I ask the question, what's missing? What are we not willing to ask? And how, you know, how can we be curious about our own needs and our partner's needs so we can meet in this, as I said, like a prolonged um intimacy and then really, really nourishing, juicy lovemaking. Like, of course you're going to have quickies sometimes. But, you know, if a man's stressed out and he just wants to get off so he can get to sleep, that's not very helpful for the partner. And pretty soon she's not going to want to do that. 
I'm not saying that happens all the time, but just in this world where we're kind of stressing ourselves out and we're feeling time poor, we really, I think the question needs to be asked, how can we have really nourishing lovemaking? I've got, there's there's two parts I want to raise with you. The first part is something that I read, which I thought was quite telling, particularly for guys to hear is that when we have sex and I'm told scientifically, when we have sex, the guy uh, ejaculates, he gets the ah moment, which is the oxytocin being released into his system. And the oxytocin automatically means that he wants to go to sleep because he's done, he's now he's relaxed, now he can go to sleep. And that actually happening is said to be the single most common reason why women lose interest. So I think the quickie thing is true. The flip side, from my understanding, I'd be interested in your thoughts, is to be very aware of how that impacts your partner. At the, at the, other, the other side of that, Anna, I want you to, to tell me about is what does nourishing mean? So there's two parts. There's the quickie and being very aware of that. I'd like to, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And also then on the flip side, where, where it's not a quickie but it's nourishing, what does that mean specifically? Okay. So there are a lot of hormones that are produced through lovemaking and orgasm, not just oxytocin. So there's serotonin, um, vasperinin, the pituitary hormone prolactin um, gets produced for over an hour after we have an orgasm. And that hormone can really help with sleep. And it's actually naturally more active during sleep. Mm. So, yeah, there's this drive towards having the orgasm because it's such a big release and a relief and often, you know, a lot of pent-up emotions can just, like, be expelled. But there's a lot that's missed out on when there's the rush towards orgasm. So I've always looked at it like there's this huge ocean of pleasure. There's so much pleasure beyond the orgasm and on the way to the orgasm that's missed when that's the goal. So I invite people to start exploring the immense pleasure all around orgasm and in true intimacy and, as I said, nourishing lovemaking where we really feel met and there's a kind of conversation with the bodies and even bringing in speaking during sex, like asking each other, um, what do you like? What do you feel that you'd love right now? Or when you notice that your partner's not quite there, asking them, hey, stay with me. Can you stay here with me? Or do you want me to slow down so we can just really come together? And this kind of lovemaking is deeply nourishing. You know, it's not just a physical release of um, hormones that um, make us feel good. It goes beyond that, you know, when we feel truly met. And I think um, because of the way we're taught 
about sex, which is often through pornography. Um, yeah, this is an area where we, we really need to give it some attention and be brave, you know, because there's a vulnerability that's needed to meet each other in this way. And I think a lot of people aren't being really honest because they're afraid of hurting their partner. I mean, I've been in that position where I haven't been fully honest because I don't want to upset a man. Um, but I've learned ways of communicating that basically say how I feel, you know, and what I would like. And essentially I think that men really, really want to please their partners and they get heaps of pleasure, far beyond the pleasure of an orgasm when a woman is just blooming because she feels so loved and she just oozes with love. And you know what it's like being with a woman who's feeling fully loved up and also a man too, you know. It's like to me We're going to call the show that fully loved up. Fully loved up. Fully loved up. Like you you see people walking down the road and you know, like you feel it. Talk about mojo. Like they're just oozing this sense of just fully juicy aliveness. You're like, yeah, I wish I had some of that, you know. And so – we can go so far beyond the orgasm in in what gets our mojo going through lovemaking. So, yeah, we need our mojo a bit revved up for lovemaking, but lovemaking really revs up our mojo, real lovemaking. So- Something I read which I thought was interesting, just backpedalling to the start of this interview with you, it said that 90% of sex happens between 10 and 11 o'clock at night. Yet the hormones, testosterone and estrogen are at their best first up in the morning. So it kind of makes sense why the morning sex is prevalent, but it doesn't seem to be hitting people's schedules. Is that because people are waking up exhausted, dragging themselves out of bed because of stress, getting to bed too late, screen time, not eating well? Is it your observation that probably in the morning when we are probably at our best to have great sex we're not doing it because we're just too buggered well also because we usually have to get somewhere and there's a lot on our minds so you know the morning isn't this luxurious time where you know there isn't somewhere to get to so I think that there's that as that's a huge part of it and that our minds are switched on so fast we're not really in our bodies so um, I love waking up before dawn and making love, you know, bring, coming into the day that way. It's so beautiful. and But I'll admit that sometimes, yeah, when I've got a huge day, it can be tricky because I'm already starting to think about my day. So, But I do um, want to say that when you honour the body's natural rhythm and you go to bed more attuned with the natural rhythm of darkness, so not so late, then, yeah, we actually have more time in the evenings and in the mornings for lovemaking, especially if we put our devices down. I was talking about this with a couple of mates of mine over the weekend. I was actually talking about us recording this show. And one of the guys made the point that early on in a relationship, when you first meet and it's all fresh and it's all new, 
you do have these quickies in the bathroom or the quickies in the kitchen and your sex life is full and, and enriching. But as we move on, I suppose life takes over. But do you think, do you think necessarily that that early stage in our relationship is more what our, our bodies are actually attuned to in terms of a sex life? Definitely. <laughs> I really, I really believe, and it's been my experience, that keeping that alive in a relationship, you know, not letting interest wane and letting, like you said, life take over. What does that mean? I mean, what is life? Mm. When we drop in and we feel life bubbling inside us, there is a natural sexual urge, you know, and it's like we want to make love and we want to love. It's so natural and I think we push it down for lots of different reasons and I think remembering that communication, loving communication is a big key, you know, actually talking to each other about it and saying what you'd like and what you love and talking about how it can be better. I mean, of course you want to be doing it more than talking about it. (laughs) The communication can really help that happen. Practice is best. (laughs) Yes. And just not, you know, not letting that go, not letting it be overrode by stress and life. It's it's one of the best stress reducing um, things we can do. Mm. And yeah, I think that the world would be a much more beautiful and productive place if we all made time for lovemaking. Just say we made as much time for lovemaking as say... 20% of the time we spend on screens. Further to what you were talking about in terms of making time, date night is something that a lot of couples do. Is there something we should do as well as religiously having the date night? Is there something that we should do leading up to the date night to prepare for date night in terms of sleep, rest, all the rest of it? Definitely. Like the night before date night, have an early night so that your your body can be fully energised and you can feel, yeah, inspired once you meet each other, like physically, emotionally. And also I think anticipating a deeply nourishing night, you know, like really light candles, buy some flowers, you know, do the old-fashioned things and... You know, bring some food that you know each other loves for dinner and, yeah, just make it a a very whole experience rather than the date night being kind of orgasm night. Yes. Make it like, make it, make it a a full body heart nourishing night and you can work up to that, you know, but um, like even just like rose oil, I'm going to mention rose oil. And when you when you bring rose oil in, you know, you need hundreds, maybe thousands of petals for one drop of this oil. And make sure if you get it, you get really good quality essential oil. Um, bring that in and rubbing that into each other's chests, breasts. <laughs> and, you know, just extend, extend the pleasure. Mm. And this extends the nourishment and then you know you can be floating days after a night like that you know 
It's interesting that you bring up oils because Wendy, who we spoke to earlier, was talking about lubrication and the importance of that and how it changes the sensitivity of our genitalia and, and, um, and, the, and the influence that it can have on the sex that we're having. Yeah. Oh, one of my favourite things to do is um, my partner and I, we actually oil each other, mm. so our whole bodies, with warm oil. And then, I know it might sound like really slippery, we don't tend to just go into the bed when we're fully oiled, but just <laughs> hugging, hugging like that, you know, and just gliding over each other like that. It's so yummy. Yeah, slip so and slide. Yummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making time for the um, for the extras. Yeah. It's, it's really, really nourishing. Do you know what occurs to me hearing this, Anna, is it? If there is a listener out there who goes, well, how do I know all this is true? Hearing Wendy, Smithy, yourself talk about this and going through the steps of what we can do to get our libidos, sex desires, be intimate with our partners, make it nourishing. What occurs to me is that it's almost like being on holidays because when you go on holidays, particularly to a beach or a place with a nice pool, Generally, when you're on holiday, things start to fire up because you are exposing skin to the sun, you're getting vitamin D, you're very relaxed. Hopefully, you haven't taken a digital device with you, but you're relaxed. You're chilled out. You probably do get to sleep in, in the mornings. You're chilled at nighttime. You're going to bed in a good place and probably being grateful for your surroundings. So if you go through the checklist, you're probably eating okay because there's probably buffets and cafes and you're probably not snacking as much because you actually have more set times for eating. You're probably exercising because you're walking around sightseeing or biking or swimming. It just seems to me that this stuff, if you want evidence, as you look back through your own life, is the times when you were most active or felt the most horny. I suspect that holidays would be a big part of it because you started to connect all these dots together. And then it would kind of occur to me, well, then why don't we set ourselves to be on holidays all the time? Do you, do you concur with my, my thesis? <laughs> yeah, and I can hear a lot of people going, yeah, yeah, how do I do that, you know, with my job and and all these things I have to manage. And and I think, you know, we can give ourselves little island holidays of time, you know. So for the next hour, I'm going to be totally in my body. What does my body really need right now? Oh, I need to go out into the sun. Oh, I really need to just cuddle my partner. And, you know, listening to our bodies. Like when you talked about and described being on holidays, we're in much more of a feeling place. We're down out of our heads, you know, and we're nourishing our physical needs a lot more and we're not as stressed. We're not going so far. So slowing down and feeling our bodies and letting ourselves feel. And I think, you know, I do keep mentioning screens, but we're on them all the time and they're desensitising us. You know, where if we stroked each other as much as we stroked our phones, we'd all be pretty happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's the highlights package. Oh, that's the promo, that one. (laughs) That's gold. Isn't that absolutely gold, Anna? That is, that is just platinum. That is, uh, if if we stroked our partner, 
as much if we fondled, handled, and paid as much attention to our partner as we did our phones, I wonder what the world would be like. Yeah. You know, I mean, how lovingly do we find the right button to push and press and stroke and on the phone? And I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to be your phone right now. I've just come full body size, okay? <laughs> we could go back to the 70s and make a new slogan, make love, not Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I invite people to ask themselves when they're on their phone at night or first thing in the morning, you know, how nourishing is this for me? How nourishing is this for my relationship, for my partner, for for my whole life? And to just realise that there are other things like lovemaking, like stroking your partner instead of the phone, that are actually a lot more nourishing and enlivening and that can bring your mojo fully back. Two things. Where do we go to find out more about your work? Because people who are struggling with the sleep part of this to be well slept where do they find you? And the second part, just give us a very quick executive summary of the beautiful work you're doing with children at the moment. So people can find my work and some very practical resources on my website, which is the Sleep Muse. That's Muse with an M. Um, and that's the sleepmuse.com. And uh, the work I'm doing with kids, I've created a sleep kit for kids and it helps children cultivate inner resources that enable them to calm their mind and body, to release anxiety, feel at ease in bed and in the dark and be able to fall asleep feeling peaceful. And this resource, I initially created it for children who are traumatised in some way or in a very difficult situation in their life from anything from domestic violence to displacement. So I donate this kit to organisations that care for children in difficult situations. And um, that work you can look at on a website called comfortforkids.org. And I'd really, I want to invite anyone from organisations who feel they could use this resource and anyone who wants to um, support the work, I invite you to have a look at the website, comfortforkids.org. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. Take care, you guys, and happy lovemaking and sleeping. Gary and Robbo never last this long. Let's go check it out. Kick that. The Mojo Radio Show's bedroom special. The queen of the mattress. The princess of the pillow. Always good to chat with Anna, right? Yeah, I think we went to some places we didn't expect to go there. But um, yes, I, I got to say, <laughs> just a beautiful, beautiful lady. Now, speaking of which, our final guest today, because it is a long-form show, but our final guest, and this, this is an interesting segment because this came out of the research and work we were doing in putting this show together. Many of us, I think it would be fair to say, would be intrigued or fascinated or just curious about the sex toy industry products. And they're wondering, how do they work? How does it work? Should I be investigating these sex toy products to bring, let's just put the mojo back into my relationship and or not just for couples, but also for us as individuals 
So a listener who heard we were doing this show uh, contacted me and said, you should speak to Sally Barnett from Mojo Co. Now, as soon as we heard the name, we went, yeah, okay, I've got to get Sally. <laughs> so Sally Barnett runs a, an online, it's a beautiful, beautiful site, but it is around all this sort of sex toys and lubrication and clothing, but all very, very sexy and it's all designed to help us get our mojo working. So we thought, well, let's dig into this area and just see if we can get a better understanding rather than assuming we know about the sex toy industry. So, uh, Sally, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Hello, thanks for having me. Now, first of all, before we do anything else, the name of the business Mojo <laughs> Co., you had us say hello. Yeah, it's tell right us, up our alley. Tell, tell us about the business. <laughs> yeah, good one. Tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about the business, Sally. Like what, what is Mojo Co.? Um, I guess if I was to explain it in a few words, I would say we're an adventurer exploring the world of women's pleasure. So our vision is to create an environment uh, for women to shop for sensual products um, that would be comfortable and approachable. Uh, we knew that great imagery would be vital and we wanted to curate the products um, to make sure that we had the best products available in um, a sort of smaller selection and less confronting. So, yeah, I guess that's what we're trying to achieve. And, and most importantly, send a message that women's pleasure is important and it's normal. And You fun. said about yourself that you're a genuine lover of love. Is that is that something you've only discovered since you went on this journey, or do you think that's something you've always had, Sally? Is that is that an innate trait that you believe you've had since an early age? One hundred percent innate, and and I think what I've loved about this journey is I've I've actually discovered so much about myself, and I feel like I've found my life passion, and and I'm really excited about it. I. I mean, I've always been a romantic, so, you know, I actually was sent to boarding school and the first day people say, you know, who are you and what do you want? And I said, oh, I just want to fall in love and be pregnant and barefoot walking in a beach somewhere. And they're just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> That's a funny thing to say. But, you know, it's true. And I always say, you know, while my other – I, I mean, I had a career and all those things, but I've always, you know, the relationships I have, with my friends, family and lovers have always been the most important thing in my life. You said earlier, which I think is probably one of the things that Robbo and I've talked about a lot with this particular part of the show, is that the adult shop carries this sleazy vibe about it. How how has Mojo Co gotten around that? Because typically when you say you're an online adult shop or sex shop, it does carry that stigma. How how have you gotten around that and how once you've gotten around it, what success are you seeing with people? Do you, do you feel as though it's more accessible now? Yes, I do. I have to say, you know, we've hit some roadblocks along the way. I mean, it's just it's amazing how negative the, the feedback can be and even just we're so restricted from an advertising perspective, which, you know, when I think we're bringing something really positive, um, people and you know you're just getting blocked at every turn and you think about what's on social media and what you see out in the world and that's allowed to get through and then we get blocked with firearms um you know it, it has been challenging but for us I think the way that we're getting around it is we're, 
we're being really honest and normal about sex. We're, we've got the message of we're just an ordinary young couple. Every, you know, everybody has sex, you know. <laughs> um, so we're trying to sort of say, like, this is what everybody does. Let's, let's focus on doing it better. Let's, um, let's enjoy it. Let's embrace it. Let's um, talk about it healthily with our, with, amongst our friends and family, you know, in, a, in an environment that you feel comfortable but for us on the actual website, I would say um, the imagery has been really important. So actually thinking about um, what sort of images a woman would want to see as well because it, um, so much of it is focused on a man when actually when it comes to sex shops, a lot of the stuff that's being sold, and especially for us, is for women because women have more challenges surrounding orgasms and arousal as well. So... Um, I think really thinking about it from a woman's perspective and being, you know, obviously a woman myself and having gone through a phase where I, you know, felt that I'd lost my mojo and I wondered when it was coming back or if it ever would. Um, I really, I feel like, you know, having gone through that as well, you're, you're trying to solve the problem for yourself as well as the, you know, the consumer. The other thing, interesting um, thing that we've done is we've started uh, selling our... Um, our toys through erotica so we're writing some short stories um that involve the toy itself which has actually been a really fun approach because um it's kind of like all like most women love reading a trashy kind of uh, romance novel, novel that's got a bit of light sex stuff in it and so it's pretty light but it's fun and it means and and the stories are, are every day you can actually picture yourself in those in that environment you think, oh actually you know what let's do that at home or, um, you know, that kind of thing. Also, a lot of education. So we're doing a lot of tips and um, and having quite a sort of a blog that's pretty active as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how... And the thing that I found, we've done a couple of uh, events and speaking at a few events and um, doing some festivals. And that's been fascinating as well, meeting women who, um, you know, they've come up to me in tears and just said, thank you for, you know, I feel like this part of myself has, has been blocked and, and just having someone so normal get up and talk about it made me feel like I can free this side and maybe, you know, it's okay to explore it, which I just, like, I've been blown away. Sally, it's interesting hearing you talk because it hadn't dawned on me that probably one of the the barriers is actually the language that's used. When you think about an adult shop, sex toys, you just mentioned the word toys. Yet when I hear Wendy talk or yourself talk or in doing research to put this show together, it just seems that the language itself is part of the problem because when you when you talk to the psychology behind it, the intimacy behind it, the relationship behind it, it actually isn't a toy and it's not really that adult. It To me, it seems it seems to go in a different direction, but it seems the industry is its own worst enemy and its own worst barrier to getting people to jump that hurdle and realise there's a lot more to this than just a toy or sex or an adult shop. Have you found that? I couldn't agree with you more, and and we've actually tried to change some of the language, but um, we we get stuck on that because people almost don't know what you're talking about. And then on top of that, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but obviously with SEO and stuff on the web, you actually have to be very focused on what people think they're looking for and so forth. 
Um, but I, look, one of the other really big lessons I've learned is about, uh, surrounding sensuality. And I think sensuality is a beautiful word and I think it, 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 it really explains what we're talking about here. Yeah. And, um, you know, it should be sensual products. And even sex, I don't see that. I don't see sex as penetration and that's it. I see it as, a, as an experience where, um, in fact, there's so much more before and after that um, in the connection point. And, and that's what I think Mojo Co is trying to do. So we don't sell just toys. I mean, I, one of the first products we talked about was doing... Um, Silk sarong because once because I was once on a trip in Bali and bought this beautiful hand printed, 100% silk sarong. Anyway, and I found that I often would use it while having sex. Like I would have it as the thing I would have on out of the shower, and actually it was because it made me feel sensual. You know, the feeling of the silk skin, and and so I think there's so much more in the messaging around that and you know, taking a moment to look into each other's eyes, to touch the skin, to feel, you know, the feeling of the lips first touching, you know, your part and actually stopping and, and being mindful about that. I mean, I hate, you know why I hate to use the word mindful because it's so like in the moment, but that kind of like actually trying to, um, you know, engage in your senses and the sensuality of the experience. So let's, let's dig into the specifics so there's a listener who, and I, I love that word sensuality. I, I think that, and we've heard through this show, there's just a different psychological approach to what we're doing for Mojo in the bedroom. Say I buy into this, I go to your website, the imagery is beautiful. I am now, have got the courage, I've had the conversation, the partners have agreed to go down this track what happens to it? I, I make a purchase. So firstly, how do I decide what it is? Because always so much stuff. So how do I decide where to start? And number two is when I make the purchase, what's going to turn up at my home? Like is is the guy who's putting it in my letterbox or at Australia Post? Are they, what, what is, there must be a huge stigma about others finding out. Yeah, no, okay. So, um, I mean, pretty much all adult stores are very discreet. Um, we are particularly discreet, but... I guess initially one of the things we've done is we've created a small product range. So I don't, I don't, you know, you don't want to get on there and see, you know, a huge um, dildo. You have no idea what it is and it's bright purple um, as the first thing you see because you're just going to go, oh, my God, I want. And then you see that there's 5,000 items and you go, okay, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not doing this today. So we've actually, you know, we've decided we've, we're we're only taking on the brands that we really believe on, it and only a small range of those um, of items within those areas. So you actually, if you decided you wanted to buy a couple sex toys, you're only going to have one page to look at. That's your starting point. Um, we also have curation. So we have a creation saying that's about the beginner's guide, so you can read through that and make some choices. Um, I'm also online as much as I possibly can be, so there's a chat feature, so you can ask me anything, any question you like, um, or you can, if I'm not online, you can email me and I'll get back to you as quickly as possible. Um, and then what we do is we, um, because we feel like you've purchased, um, you know, we're proud of you and you should be proud of yourself, but we actually wrap um, whatever you've purchased up as a gift so it's, it's wrapped in white paper with a cream ribbon um, and we put a little note on it and then we just put it in an express post Australia bag with no reference to the company on it 
So it just looks like you're getting an express post bag. And even if somebody opens it, oh, another layer of yeah. safety. So if your kids open if there is a stigma around it, which I'm not convinced 100% there is, do you think that's changing? Because, I, and I want to throw something out there that I, my wife pointed out to me on Facebook the other day on one of her pages. This person was so open about their sex life, they actually advertised for a handyman to come and hang up a sex swing in her bedroom. So <laughs> I, I'm interested to know, do you see... Lots of that. Do you see the stigma around it changing at all? Um, it, it's, it depends on your audience, um, and I think that I think it's still okay to be private as well. Um, like I don't want to put pressure on like people don't have to feel like they need to talk about it openly all the time to anyone. Um, but it, I think for me, it's it's more it's it's actually about women than I think about. Um, you know, as a, as a male from a very young age, I've got a boy and a girl, so I'm finding navigating, you know, having small children and figuring out how you deal with sex even from a really young age, quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the time my little boy touched himself, you know, you sort of think, not much of it, we can't talk about it with my husband. He goes, oh, pretty normal, apparently. And then the first time your little girl does it, it's almost like the instant reaction is like, oh, don't do that, you know. <laughs> Um, that's naughty, you know, and so it seems that from a very young age, women are told that that's not okay to masturbate, but men, it's like, well, of course we would, you know, like you joke about the first time, everyone's got a story about it, but it's not like that for females. Um, but I can guarantee you that, um, you know, we actually did a survey the other day and it's like 99% of women have touched themselves. I mean, everybody touches themselves. It's, It's normal. It's very, even in the womb, you touch yourself. So, um... Yeah, I, I think that's where I want the, the message to really change. I think, you know, the way that you feel about sex is pretty personal um, and I think it would be nice to create an environment where people feel comfortable to explore it. Whether people are talking about it openly or not is your own prerogative, but it's just that distinction between what is okay for both a male and a female that really bothers me um, and that also the stigma around it being dirty. If a guy's hearing this and wants to put some mojo into his relationship. He's checked out your site. He's into it, had the conversation with his partner. Is there a feeling amongst men that if they do buy into this and they go down, let's call it a toy for, for a better better term, that they're going to be replaced? Look, that, that's, that is a problem. That's definitely something that some men feel. Um, from a, I think, more scientific perspective, and I'm not... Um, you know, I'm not a sexologist or a psychologist for that matter, but um, I I have heard that the more sex you have, the more sex you want, the more orgasms you have, the more you want and need. Um, so, you know, if your woman is satisfied in more ways than one, then she's going to want you more. So that's the positive. Um, the other thing is, you know, you can masturbate together, which I really believe in, because that's a, sometimes you don't feel like you need to, you want to be um, totally, you know, you, or you don't even have time or whatever it is, but you kind of want that release and then you need, but if you do it together or you talk about it together, then that's a really positive thing. Um, it's also, I don't know, like, and maybe I'm a bit harsh, but if you're with a guy who doesn't want pleasure, you to have pleasure, then get rid of him. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I just, wow. yeah, I, I guess, 
you know, you should both experience pleasure. And it's only a positive thing. It's a natural gift. Um, it's just, it's communication yet again with each other. Don't, I mean, my message to men is don't feel threatened, feel excited because only good things can come from women getting pleasure. Can I just ask you about that, Sally? During the show, no one's spoken. Uh, we've spoken about individual self-pleasure, but you've just talked about both parties masturbating together. So we haven't been down that road yet. How does that happen? Like what's the, is there a way of creating sensuality or intimacy in doing that, that you have either done yourself or, or, or had someone explain to you or share with you? Does that make sense? Um, I think there is an incredible place for intimacy in mutual masturbation. I, I am a, a really strong believer of it. Um, I've done it countless times and actually even before this journey began, I, I have always done it. I've always, you know, I just, um, I guess for a woman in particular, I don't always feel like penetration. You know, I just, I guess, it can be messy and sometimes, you know, that area is not feeling 100% healthy or you're just tired and you don't really want, like, the full session. <laughs> but you'd quite like and you'd quite like to connect with each other. Or, you're, or, you know, maybe your husband's kind of hassling you and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm in the mood. But, um, you know, you know that well, so it depends. It also depends on how you orgasm. Like, I find I orgasm really easy clitoral you know, clitorally, which is like external. So for me, I can, you know, I can orgasm within 30, 30 seconds to a minute, you know, if I, if I need to. Um, by my- <laughs> right, let's so, get this over with. 30 seconds, let's go. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, it's crazy because that's what life is like. So you don't always have half an hour or even 10 minutes or you're so tired that you just go to sleep. <laughs> so you go, you know what, touch yourself, touch my body, I'll masturbate, we'll go to sleep. Awesome. So, and then there's other sessions where you get out the toys and you both play with each other and then you finish, you know, actually, you know, maybe I'd be using a toy and he'll be touching himself. It's a really fascinating experience and it's, it's, it's very, um, I guess it's something different as well. Um, yeah, I, look, I'm a big believer of it. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And even if you think about, you know, teenagers learning about sex, I mean, learn about your own body first before you mm-hmm. start making that to something else. And I mean, when I think about myself as a teenager, you know, there's that rush. You just want to have sex. You want to have sex. But actually, if you understood more about pleasure, I mean, that's a great experience for a young couple to have before they have sex, I think. You've, you've spoken about different toys or products for ladies, but is there men's stuff as well? Um, we do. One of our most popular um, toys is, well, it's for men and women. It's a couple's toy, but it actually does. It's a ring that vibrates that goes around the penis. So it has a sensation for the male as well, um, which is fantastic. It also makes the male last longer as well um, as providing some vibration. Yeah, I guess. So that's where we're sitting with that. We really, we're female focused, but there's definitely uses for our toys for men. And obviously we sell condoms and lubricant and stuff like that as well. So... The guys or girls get online, had the conversation into it, box arrived, it's beautifully presented. The moment comes, if the kids are in bed or they are a couple, 
they get to the bedroom. What's your advice to starting out? Like obviously you and Jack are very comfortable. If something arrived, you would have no problem exploring it, trying it. You've got that history now and that comfort level. A couple who don't have that familiarity, who perhaps in the back of their mind are carrying that sort of thought about that stigma. Tell me, tell me what you've written about, read about, or your advice would be to the couple who get the package, open it up, and suddenly there is something presented in front of them. What's the psychology? What's the best way to approach it? So I think if you're feeling a little confronted, I wouldn't just go out and buy the first couple sex so you see. Um, I think you probably need to start slowly, and it depends also what the issues are. Like whether you're trying to revive your sex life or whether you're just trying to be adventurous and try something new. Like it depends where you're sitting initially. But I would say one of the sounding things is set the mood. So if you order a pack, get a nice candle, get some beautiful massage oil, buy something that you feel comfortable in. So, um, I mean, we sell um, cotton robes that are just you could just come out of the shower and put that on. That might be enough, and it's actually, you know, it's really relatively well covered. Um, lighting. So, so kind of create an environment that makes you feel comfortable before you even approach something. Um, and then... Be sensual about it. So spend time on each other and your bodies and exploring each other and and just being with each other before you consider bringing anything else in. If you have purchased a toy, have it sitting there and just see how you go. So you might, you'll probably get to a point, you know, in in the experience where you think, oh, okay, this might be the moment to bring it in. Um, And and then try that. Um, If you feel... Uh, and always communicating with each other. So um, there's more than just language with that. You can see in each other's um, body language and, and, you know, tense, muscle tenseness and all of that as to whether there people, you know, either of you feel ready to try something. And also maybe have it sitting there the first time and don't use it, you know, and then the next maybe you will. Um, uh, or maybe as a female you might want to try it you know, when your husband's not around, just so you've had a little practice, you know? I don't know. So um, just, I think, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just because you bought it doesn't mean you have to use it straight away. Just have a think about it. But but also, um, like, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the fact that you've you've bought something. Feel good about that. And if you end up having great sex without it, well, that's good in itself. Sally, where does somebody find Mojo Co? What's what's the address you'd send people to to check out your website and your products and your stories? Um, www.mojoco.com.au. I think it's fair, folks, that uh, Rob and I are not affiliated with the company in any way. It's just that we thought we just thought it was an, it, we just thought it was an interesting perspective to talk to somebody who was running a retail outlet for products because it had come up in the show. We were introduced to Sally and Mojo Co. The name took our interest, but uh, we're in no way pushing or anything else, have any affiliation. Uh, so it was just something we found interesting. We thought we'd share because we think it had value. People's mojo in the bedroom, right, Sally? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And look, thank you so much. It's been really fun. And, and obviously we do have a mojo alignment. So. Hey, Gaz, is, the, is, then, is now the time to mention that there's actually a cease and desist order on the name on, on the way? 
I thought you were going to say, is there any chance to get some sample sense where we've got the Dos Equis <laughs> well, now too. Away for the, uh, I mean, we don't always drink beer, but we do. We drink, we drink Dos Equis. We don't always use toys. Well, we do. We use Mojo Coke. <laughs> Sally, you're talking to the most interesting men in podcasting. You can make it really interesting if you sit through some stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) I tell you what, we've definitely got a product that people want. So whenever we do these sorts of things, people are like, oh, you can send us a pack. That wouldn't be a problem. We'd be cool with that. So I'll I'll be sending you Positioning you for a better love life. (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. Nice one, AP. Okay. The Mojo Radio Show's Bedroom Special. Interesting that we should get to that interview today because just in the mail this morning, I got something for the studio. Hang on a sec. Let me just open it up here. Now, I've got to go out and get the pump, but I bought us a blow-up doll. Welcome to Rocktober, folks. (laughs) Good times, good times. Just to keep us company on those late nights, you know. She was definitely worth talking to because there's a real stigma, I think, around sex toys and probably because of the industry that it all falls into but it's interesting when you hear her talk about it how it's it it's actually so far removed from that it's not funny i think if you go into mojo co and check out the work that sally is doing there with her husband um it's a beautiful site and to me it takes away that stigma. I think once you get in there and you understand that it's not, I don't even think sex toys is the right term for it. It's about intimacy mm. and mm. exploration and partners and self-gratification. And I think Sally has done a beautiful job. Her Instagram account is very, very sexy. It's, it's very cool. And I just think it's, it's people like that who are going to change the stigma and help allow us to understand the fact that it's a, it's a benefit to us. Mm. And let me tell you, with the, the rate of divorce, the rate of depression, the rate of people with mental illness, we need more contact, intimacy, we need more love. And I just think this whole show has been a lot more powerful. And I must say that having now gone through the interviews, done the research, it has changed my whole view on this intimacy area. Hmm. Yeah. And listen, just while you're talking about that, I know we've both worked on this, but you particularly have put a lot of work into this episode because you had your concerns about how it might come out across the other side of the speakers. Um, So just publicly, mate, a big pat on the back to you. Well done. It's turned out to be a really great show. Well, thank you, mate. And I think um, probably what's important from our listeners' perspective is to give us feedback on what you thought because it did take four years I personally had a lot of concerns about how we would structure this to add value and not make it dirty or sleazy or that sort of thing. I managed to bring it down that notch. <laughs> yeah, you worked hard at that. Um, but I, I, um, I mean, I, on the side, I do like the fact that our blow-up doll looks like ACDC's Rosie. I think that, yeah. that, that little bit of rock and roll, the tat on the shoulder with the heart, with the arrow through, I mean, I do like that bit. That is rather sexy. Well, I, I think you've just named her. Uh, so, folks, if you have got feedback, hit us up on the socials, uh, on our website or anywhere, in fact. Just let us know your thoughts. If you see us on the street, just let us know your thoughts because this is, this is an important show for us. It's long form. We have been hanging around now for a couple of hours and we do hope you enjoyed it. Rocktober unofficially starts now. It officially starts next Monday. Straight out of the gate, we're going to have a no-holes-barred interview with Joe DeSena. Joe is the guy who started Spartan Racing. Let me tell you, if you need a kick in the pants to get you through to Christmas time, Rocktober starts with Joe. There is no hold bars. It's straight up dropping truth bombs. It's an absolute 
cracker. I tell you what, if you think Tate Fletcher was a great way to kick off for October last year, I think we've we've probably doubled that, haven't we? By far. Hey, and uh, speaking of which, mm. I uh, was talking with Tate last night, yeah. and there is a chance that in between shootings in Hollywood, so to speak, uh, <laughs> who's he shooting? Because remember, he's, he was taking his gun from his house when we did the uh, when we did the, <laughs> the nifty ninety. Who's he shooting? Well, I've been watching a bit of Netflix this week, and uh, I saw him in The Accountant with Ben Affleck which was fantastic. I love that movie. And he was great. He had a really big part in that. And I'm going to ask, if we get him on the show, I think he's going to be on the show for October. He's, oh, he said he was cool. just going to work out his, his um, Hollywood schedule. Uh, but I'm sure I saw him in a movie with The Rock. So anyway, the rumour is he'll be on the show for October to come back because he opened October for us last year. Yeah. Something else hopefully to look forward to. While we're saying thanks, AP, great job on the production of Rocktober, buddy. You're yeah, sounding, thanks, mate. You're sounding spelt and silky as always. It's that Rocktober red. Rocktober red. All right, I think we're uh, done for this uh, week. What are we going out with? Let's get out of the ear holes. I reckon let's go way back. Let's go back to a bit of Jim Morrison, The Doors, and what other song but Light My Fire. You know that it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire The time to hesitate is through no time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on fire
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.